Section three of the History of Emily Montague, Volume two, by Francis Moore Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section three, letters seventy-five to eighty-four. Cast list. Emily Montague, read by Emma Hatton. Arabella Fairmore, read by Grace Buchanan edward rivers read by jim locke narrated by sonia letter seventy five to miss firmer yes my dear bell you know me better than i know myself your emily loves but tell me and with clear sincerity which is the cement of our friendship has not your own heart discovered to you the secret of mine do you not also love this most amiable of mankind yes you do and i am lost it is not in woman to see him without love there are a thousand charms in his conversation in his look nay in the very sound of his voice to which it is impossible for a soul like yours to be insensible i have observed you a thousand times listening to him with that air of softness and complacency believe me my dear i am not angry with you for loving him he is formed to charm the heart of woman i have not the least right to complain of you you knew nothing of my passion for him you even regarded me almost as the wife of another but tell me though my heart dies within me at the question is your tenderness mutual does he love you i have observed a coldness in his manner lately which now alarms me my heart is torn in pieces must i receive this wound from the two persons on earth most dear to me indeed my dear this is more than your emily can bear tell me only whether you love i will not ask more is there on earth a man who can please where he appears Letter 76 To Miss Montague You have discovered me, my sweet Emily. I love, not quite so dyingly as you do, but I love. Will you forgive me when I add that I am beloved? It is unnecessary to add the name of him I love, as you have so kindly appropriated the whole sex to Colonel Rivers however to show you it is possible you may be mistaken tis the little fitz i love who in my eye is ten times more agreeable than even your nonpareil of a colonel i know you will think me a shocking wretch for this depravity of taste but so it is upon my word i am half inclined to be angry with you for not being in love with fitzgerald a tall irishman with good eyes has as clear a title to make conquests as other people yes my dear there is a man on earth and even in the little town of quebec who can please where he appears surely child if there was but one man on earth who could please you would not be so unreasonable as to engross him all to yourself for my part though i like fitzgerald extremely i by no means insist that every other woman shall go you are a foolish girl and don't know what you would be at rivers is a very handsome agreeable fellow but it is in woman to see him without dying for love of which behold your little bell an example adieu be wiser and believe me, ever yours, A. Fairmore. 
will you go this morning to montmorency on the ice and dine on the island of orleans dare you trust yourself in a covered cario with the dear man don't answer this because i am certain you can say nothing on the subject which will not be very foolish letter seventy seven to miss firmer i am glad you do not see colonel rivers with my eyes yet it seems to me very strange i am almost piqued at your giving another the preference i will say no more it being as you observed impossible to avoid being absurd on such a subject i will go to montmorency and to shew my courage will venture in a covered carriel with colonel rivers though i should rather wish your father for my cavalier at present yours emily montague letter seventy eight to miss montague you are right my dear tis more prudent to go with my father i love prudence and will therefore send for mademoiselle clairot to be rivers bell yours a fermor letter seventy nine to miss firmer you are a provoking chit and i will go with rivers your father may attend madame villiers who you know will naturally take it ill if she is not of our party we can ask mademoiselle clairot another time adieu your emily montague letter eighty to miss rivers clarges street sillery february twenty five those who have heard no more of a canadian winter than what regards the intenseness of its cold must suppose it a very joyless season tis i assure you quite otherwise there are indeed some days here of the severity of which those who were never out of england can form no conception but those days seldom exceed a dozen in a whole winter nor do they come in succession but at intermediate periods as the winds set in from the northwest which coming some hundred leagues from frozen lakes and rivers over woods and mountains covered with snow would be insupportable were it not for the firs with which the country abounds in such variety and plenty as to be within the reach of all its inhabitants thus defended the british bells set the winter of canada at defiance and the season of which you seem to entertain such terrible ideas is that of the utmost cheerfulness and festivity but what particularly pleases me is there is no place where women are of such importance not one of the sex who has the least share of attractions is without a levy of bow interceding for the honour of attending her on some party of which every day produces three or four i am just returned from one of the most agreeable jaunts imagination can paint to the island of orleans by the falls of montmorency the latter is almost nine miles distant across the great basin of quebec but as we are obliged to reach it in winter by the waving line our direct road being intercepted by the inequalities of the ice it is now perhaps a third more you will possibly suppose a ride of this kind must want one of the greatest essentials to entertainment that of variety 
and imagine it only one dull whirl over an unvaried plain of snow on the contrary my dear we pass hills and mountains of ice in the trifling space of these few miles the basin of quebec is formed by the conflux of the rivers st charles and montmorency with the great river st lawrence the rapidity of whose flood tide as these rivers are gradually seized by the frost breaks up the ice and drives it back in heaps till it forms ridges of transparent rock to a height that is astonishing and of a strength which bids defiance to the utmost rage of the most furiously rushing tide this circumstance makes this little journey more pleasing than you can possibly conceive the serene blue sky above the dazzling brightness of the sun and the colors from the refraction of its rays on the transparent part of these ridges of ice the winding course these oblige you to make the sudden disappearing of a train of fifteen or twenty carrios as these ridges intervene which again discover themselves on your rising to the top of the frozen mount the tremendous appearance both of the ascent and descent which however are not attended with the least danger altogether give a grandeur and variety to the scene which almost rise to enchantment your dull foggy climate affords nothing that can give you the least idea of our frost pieces in canada nor can you form any notion of our amusements of the agreeableness of a covered cario with a sprightly fellow rendered more sprightly by the keen air and romantic scene about him to say nothing of the fair lady at his side even an overturning has nothing alarming in it you are laid gently down on a soft bed of snow without the least danger of any kind and an accident of this sort only gives a pretty fellow occasion to vary the style of his civilities and show a greater degree of attention but it is almost time to come to montmorency to avoid however fatiguing you or myself i shall refer the rest of our tour to another letter which will probably accompany this my meaning is that two moderate letters are vastly better than one long one in which sentiment i know you agree with yours a fairmore letter eighty one to miss rivers clarges street sillery february twenty five afternoon so my dear as i was saying this same ride to montmorency where was i lucy i forget oh i believe pretty near the mouth of the bay embosomed in which lies a lovely cascade of which i am to give you a winter description and which i only slightly mentioned when i gave you an account of the rivers by which it is supplied the road about a mile before you reach this bay is a regular glassy level without any of those intervening hills of ice which i have mentioned 
hills, which, with the ideas, though false ones, of danger and difficulty, give those of beauty and magnificence, too. As you gradually approach the bay, you are struck with an awe which increases every moment as you come nearer from the grandeur of a scene which is one of the noblest works of nature, the beauty, the proportion, the solemnity, the wild magnificence of which, surpassing every possible effect of art, impress one strongly with the idea of its divine almighty architect. The rock on the east side, which is first in view as you approach, is a smooth and almost perpendicular precipice of the same height as the fall. The top, which a little overhangs, is beautifully covered with pines, firs, and evergreens of various kinds, whose verdant luster is rendered at this season more shining and lovely by the surrounding snow as well as by that which is sprinkled irregularly on their branches and glitters half melted in the sunbeams a thousand smaller shrubs are scattered on the side of the ascent and having their roots in almost imperceptible clefts of the rock seem to those below to grow in air the west side is equally lofty but more sloping which from that circumstance affords soil all the way upon shelving inequalities of the rock at little distances for the growth of trees and shrubs by which it is almost entirely hid the most pleasing view of this miracle of nature is certainly in summer and in the early part of it when every tree is in foliage and full verdure every shrub in flower and when the river swelled with a waste of waters from the mountains from which it derives its source pours down in a tumultuous torrent that equally charms and astonishes the beholder the winter scene has notwithstanding its beauties though of a different kind more resembling the stillness and inactivity of the season the river being on its sides bound up in frost and its channel rendered narrower than in the summer affords a less body of water to supply the cascade and the fall though very steep yet not being exactly perpendicular masses of ice are formed on different shelving projections of the rock in a great variety of forms and proportions the torrent which before rushed with such impetuosity down the deep descent in one vast sheet of water now descends in some parts with a slow and majestic pace in others seems almost suspended in mid-air and in others bursting through the obstacles which interrupt its course pours down with redoubled fury into the foaming basin below from whence a spray arises which freezing in its ascent becomes on each side a wide and irregular frozen breastwork and in front the spray being there much greater a lofty and magnificent 
pyramid of solid ice. I have not told you half the grandeur, half the beauty, half the lovely wildness of this scene. If you would know what it is, you must take no information but that of your own eyes, which I pronounce strangers to the loveliest work of creation till they have seen the river and fall of Montmorency. In short, my dear, I am Montmorency mad. I can hardly descend to tell you. We passed the ice from thence to Orleans and dined out of doors on six feet of snow in the charming enlivening warmth of the sun though in the month of february at a time when you in england scarce feel its beams fitzgerald made violent love to me all the way and i never felt myself listen with such complacency adieu i have written two immense letters write oftener you are lazy you expect me to be an absolute slave in the scribbling way your faithful a fairmore do you know your brother has admirable ideas he contrived to lose his way on our return and kept emily ten minutes behind the rest of the company i am apt to fancy there was something like a declaration for she blushed celestial rosy red when he led her into the dining-room at sillery once more adieu letter eighty two to miss rivers clarges street march one i was mistaken my dear not a word of love between your brother and emily as she positively assures me something very tender has passed i am convinced notwithstanding for she blushes more than ever when he approaches and there is a certain softness in his voice when he addresses her which cannot escape a person of my penetration do you know my dear lucy that there is a little impertinent girl here a mademoiselle clairot who on the mere merit of features and complexion sets up for being as handsome as emily and me if beauty as i will take the liberty to assert is given us for the purpose of pleasing she who pleases most that is to say she who excites the most passion is to all intents and purposes the most beautiful woman and in this case i am inclined to believe your little bell stands pretty high on the roll of beauty the men's eyes may perhaps say she is handsome but their hearts feel that i am so there is in general nothing so insipid so uninteresting as a beauty which those men experience to their cost who choose from vanity not inclination i remember sir charles herbert a captain in the same regiment with my father who determined to marry miss raymond before he saw her merely because he had been told she was a celebrated beauty though she was never known to have inspired a real passion 
he saw her not with his own eyes but those of the public took her charms on trust and till he was her husband never found out she was not his taste a secret however of some little importance to his happiness i have however known some beauties who had a right to please that is who had a mixture of that invisible charm that nameless grace which by no means depends on beauty and which strikes the heart in a moment but my first aversion is your fine women don't you think a fine woman a detestable creature lucy i do they are vastly well to fill public places but as to the heart heavens my dear yet there are men i suppose to be found who have a taste for the great sublime in beauty men are vastly foolish my dear very few of them have spirit to think for themselves there are a thousand sir charles herberts i have seen some of them weak enough to decline marrying the woman on earth most pleasing to themselves because not thought handsome by the generality of their companions women are above this folly and therefore choose much oftener from affection than men we are a thousand times wiser lucy than these important beings these mighty lords who strut and fret their hour upon the stage and instead of playing the part in life which nature dictates to their reason and their hearts act a borrowed one at the will of others i had rather even judge ill than not judge for myself adieu yours ever a fairmore letter eighty three to miss rivers clarges street quebec march fourth after debating with myself some days i am determined to pursue emily but before i make a declaration will go to see some ungranted lands at the back of madame de roche's estate which lying on a very fine river and so near the st lawrence may i think be cultivated at less expense than those above lake champlain though in a much inferior climate if i make my settlement here i will purchase the estate madame de roche has to sell which will open me a road to the river st lawrence and consequently treble the value of my lands i love i adore this charming woman but i will not suffer my tenderness for her to make her unhappy or to lower her station in life if i can by my present plan secure her what will in this country be a degree of affluence i will endeavour to change her friendship for me into a tenderer and more lively affection if she loves i know by my own heart that canada will be no longer a place of exile if i have flattered myself and she has only a friendship for me i will return immediately to england and retire with you and my mother to our little estate in the country you will perhaps say why not make emily of our party i am almost ashamed to speak plain 
but so weak are we and so guided by the prejudices we fancy we despise that i cannot bear my emily after refusing a coach and six should live without an equipage suitable at least to her birth and the manner in which she has always lived when in england i know this is folly that it is a despicable pride but it is a folly a pride i cannot conquer there are moments when i am above all this childish prejudice but it returns upon me in spite of myself will you come to us my lucy tell my mother i will build her a rustic palace and settle a little principality on you both i make this a private excursion because i don't choose anybody should even guess at my views i shall set out in the evening and make a circuit to cross the river above the town i shall not even take leave at Saleri, as i propose being back in four days and i know your friend bell will be inquisitive about my journey adieu your affectionate ed rivers letter eighty four to miss rivers clarges street sillery march sixth your brother is gone nobody knows whither and without calling upon us before he set off we are piqued i assure you my dear and with some little reason four o'clock very strange news lucy they say colonel rivers is gone to marry madame de roche a lady at whose house he was some time in autumn if this is true i forswear the whole sex his manner of stealing off is certainly very odd and she is rich and agreeable but if he does not love emily he has been excessively cruel in showing an attention which has deceived her into a passion for him i cannot believe it possible not that he has ever told her he loved her but a man of honour will not tell an untruth even with his eyes and his have spoke a very unequivocal language i never saw anything like her confusion when she was told he was gone to visit madame de roche but when it was hinted with what design i was obliged to take her out of the room or she would have discovered all the fondness of her soul i really thought she would have fainted as i led her out eight o'clock i have sent away all the men and drank tea in emily's apartment she has scarce spoke to me i am miserable for her she has a paleness which alarms me the tears steal every moment into her lovely eyes can rivers act so unworthy a part her tenderness cannot have been unobserved by him it was too visible to everybody ninth ten o'clock not a line from your brother yet only a confirmation of his being with madame de roche having been seen there by some canadians who are come up this morning i am not quite pleased though i do not believe the report he might have told us surely where he was going i pity emily beyond words she says nothing but there is a dumb eloquence in her countenance which is not to be described 
twelve o'clock. I have been an hour alone with the dear girl, who has, from a hint I dropped on purpose, taken courage to speak to me on this very interesting subject. She says she shall be most unhappy if this report is true, though without the least right to complain of Colonel Rivers, who never even hinted a word of any affection for her more tender than friendship, that if her vanity, her self-love, or her tenderness have deceived her, she ought only to blame herself. She added that she wished him to marry Madame de Roche if she could make him happy. But when she said this, an involuntary tear seemed to contradict the generosity of her sentiments. I beg your pardon, my dear, but my esteem for your brother is greatly lessened. I cannot help fearing there is something in the report, and that this is what Mrs. Melmoth meant when she mentioned his having an attachment. I shall begin to hate the whole sex, Lucy, if I find your brother unworthy, and shall give Fitzgerald his dismission immediately. I am afraid Mrs. Melmoth knows men better than we foolish girls do. She said he attached himself to Emily merely from vanity, and I begin to believe she was right. How cruel is this conduct! The man who, from vanity, or perhaps only to amuse an idle hour, can appear to be attached where he is not, and by that means seduce the heart of a deserving woman, or indeed of any woman, falls in my opinion very little short in baseness of him who practices a greater degree of seduction. What right has he to make the most amiable of women wretched? A woman who would have deserved him had he been monarch of the universal world. I might add, who has sacrificed ease and affluence to her tenderness for him. You will excuse my warmth on such an occasion. However, as it may give you pain, I will say no more. Adieu, your faithful A. Fermor. End of section three.